Hello and welcome to the In Publishing podcast. Our guest this time is Mark Sennett, Chief Executive of Western Business Media. In December 2019, together with his business partners Keith Gabriel and Danny Kosafu, Mark led a management buyout of the publishing arm of what had formerly been Western Business Exhibitions from 19 Group. Their brands include Health and Safety Matters, Security Matters, Fire Safety Matters and Cleaning Matters, as well as awards and live events. I talked to Mark about what it's been like taking over a media business during a pandemic. It's just been an amazing year, a difficult year, which I'm sure we'll talk about as we go on. But it, yeah, it's it's been a phenomenal year. I, I trust those guys completely. We're what I'd say the perfect combination. Danny's the creative mind and the cost controller. I'm the editorial side and more of a public face. And, and Keith is literally the most experienced and best salesperson I've ever seen in B2B media. Mark explained how Western Business Media has managed not only to survive, but to thrive during these difficult times. By cutting products that are not working. Don't do products or have products for the sake of doing them. There's not a one-size-fits-all policy in B2B media. By showing the staff they are highly valued. The staff here knew Danny and me and Keith, and they knew we cared about them, and they know that we care about this business. And that has been so essential during this pandemic of how we've coped, why we've survived and thrived far better than pretty much most other publishers um, in this current pandemic. And by pursuing new directions. What are the emerging markets? Webinars, digital. We've had a record year for e-casting. We would like to thank our podcast sponsor, Advantage CS a leading global provider of subscription and membership management software. Capabilities include marketing, sales, payments and customer relationship software for publishers, membership associations and information providers. For more information, go to AdvantageCS.com. Mark Sennett is the Chief Executive of Western Business Media, overseeing eight leading B2B publications across a variety of UK sectors, two awards and two live events. Mark, welcome to the In Publishing podcast. Thanks for having me. I believe you studied journalism as an undergraduate. How did you go from there to being Chief Executive of a B2B media company? Yeah, it's certainly been an interesting ride. You know, I'm 36 now, so I would have uh, graduated from university when I was 22. So from memory, what's that? 2006, I graduated from um, my BA honours in journalism. You know, I started off in B2B publishing. I I don't think anyone that gets into journalism or publishing, when they're starting out at the university, goes, gosh, I want to be in B2B media. And I, and I did a number of placements in national papers and local papers, but I just had a passion for journalism. I still do. That's the thing I probably miss about the role I have now the most is doing more hands-on journalism. But I still keep my hand in covering staff when they're off and, and, and helping write magazines and articles here and there. So to answer your question, you know, I had three or four roles in B2B before I was asked to come to what was then Western Business Exhibitions and Western Business Publishing. Uh, Tim Elson and Neil Weston owned it. And I quickly came into not just launch exhibitions and launch a publication, which is Fire Safety Matters and the Fire Safety Event, but I was always being groomed to take over the editorial department of managing, you know, being content director of the whole business, because you know, Tim and Neil were, were busy running a, 
formerly in turnover business, saying that was going to be I was going to be the content guy. And little did I know that uh, the shows would be so successful that <laughs> the company would be bought out after three years by a bigger company, which is private equity backed, which is 19 Group. And they bought all the exhibitions and the publications. And, and I knew this process was happening. And I, I've got to say, Tim and Neil looked after me tremendously well. And the people that came in to run that business, uh, Alison Jackson and Peter Jones, were, were great towards me on the first day. They sat me down and said, you know, what do you think of publishing? I said, well, that's my passion. And I said, do you have a plan for publishing? And they said, you're the plan. Do you, do you want to become the managing director of of the publishing division and the publishing division was going to stay here in East Grinstead while the exhibitions were going to move up to Wimbledon. And obviously I jumped at the chance to be AMD of publishing and very quickly, almost straight away, it became apparent to me that uh, they asked me, did I want to do a management buyout? And I was very keen. And that, and that happened all in the space of nine months, really, of becoming managing director of the publishing business. Almost straight away, we started talking with Danny Kosovu one of my business partners has been here pretty much as the company started and he's our COO. He and I were offered the chance to buy this together, but we felt something was missing and that, that something was someone and that was Keith Gabriel, who'd been at the company before. Interestingly enough, brother-in-law of Danny as well. Uh, Keith's been in the game a long time at so many publishing houses and, and, and he's, he's our managing director now. We're all equal business partners. We bought it together and there's no one I respect more in terms of sales experience and key so he runs our sales side of our business i run the content side i'm more the, the public face of the business and the business growth side and and danny is what i would call the, the heart and soul and the conscience of the business he doesn't just run our studio he does far more than that he knows literally what everything costs down to the, how much we pay for pencils so we haven't had one argument in a year um you know especially with me being highly strung that's probably hard for people to believe but i, I trust them implicitly and we I think the best story I could tell you is when I asked Danny, do you want to do this to buy it? He looked at me like, 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 I, like I was sheep and he goes, well, of course I want to do this. And I said, well, okay, can I ask you another question? Do you want to do it with me? And he goes, well, that's, that's a dumb question. Of course I do. And then he looked at me and he goes, no, there's some, someone missing, isn't there? And I said, oh, you mean Keith? And I said to him, so you've got to talk to him, right? And he goes, well, you're best mates with him. Well, why don't you ask him to get involved? Like, he's your brother-in-law, he's your family. <laughs> and uh, so, so well, it seems to be typical of this business partnership that I, I have to deal with the uh, the challenging conversations to convince Keith and uh, his wife uh, to let Keith get involved. And, and Keith was excited to come in and uh, it's just been an amazing year. A difficult year, which I'm sure we'll talk about as yep. we go on. But it, yeah, it's it's been a phenomenal year. I, I trust those guys completely and we're and we're, we're what I'd say the perfect combination Danny's the creative mind and the cost controller I'm the editorial side and more of the public face and and Keith is literally the most experienced and best salesperson I've ever seen in B2B media. So that was a year ago in December 2019 that you completed the management buyout is that right? That's right. Yeah, well, you, you called at the right time, pretty much. So I think we've just had our one year anniversary on the, the 5th of December this year. And what a year that's been, you know, it, it's never an easy process. So anyone that's going through a management buyout or considering a management buyout, it's never an easy process. I was the one that had to deal with all the negotiations between 19 Group and the lawyers. And, and that's stressful both sides. But there was a real willingness to, to get this done. And it, it, it it wasn't a difficult process, but any kind of acquisition is challenging because 
I think Danny says it right. If both sides don't quite feel right or they think they've got a good deal, it, if both sides are happy, then you probably know it's the right deal. Or if both sides are not quite happy, then you definitely know you've got the right deal. Right. So can you tell me a bit more about Western Business Media and your brands? Yeah, absolutely. You know, what we do here, as you said in your introduction, is, you know, we, we have a number of market leading publications. So we, we're in, so we've got Fire Safety Matters. I warn you, there's a lot of matters in these titles, so <laughs> bear with me. So there's Fire Safety Matters, Security Matters, Health and Safety Matters. There is Cleaning Matters. There's Handling and Storage Solutions. There's Industrial Plant and Equipment. And there's Control Trials and Automation. So that is our publications. We also have the Safety and Health Excellence Awards. We're just launching the Fire and, so the, sorry, the Fire and Security Matters Awards. We've got a couple of small conferences, Tomorrow's Warehouse and Air User Live. And we're in the process of launching a number of digital conferences. So in terms of us, if you ask me what markets we're in, we're in the health and safety market, the facilities and cleaning market, we're in the industrial manufacturing market, and we're in the fire um, market, we're in the security market, and, and the logistics and handling and storage market. That's, and and we're, we're fortunate that pretty much all of our publications are the leading titles in their sector. And that's not just, in my opinion, is the quality of the editorial and the longevity of this company that's been running for nearly 25 years. But actually, because I passionately believe, as did my predecessors, in ABC auditing, you know, we're passionate about that. Um, I, I believe all publishers should do ABC auditing so they can be independently verified, so they can prove their circulation. Almost all of our competitors don't in most sectors. And, and in my opinion, they don't do that because they're not necessarily being truthful with their circulation. We very much are. And we've also managed to get all of our magazines CPD accredited, which we're very, very proud of, uh, thanks to the Institute of Fire Safety Managers. So for us, those are two standout things. And of course, the size of our circulations and, and database, you know, we have over 400,000 named professionals on our, on our database across these publications. So it's, it's a huge data business, you could argue, as well, that we have here. So as new business owners with a year under your belt now, what advice would you give to other people in a similar position? Well, it's it's an interesting question considering what we've all had to face. And, you know, I sit as part of um, PPA working group. So I speak to a lot of other CEOs and MDs of other publishing companies. And we had a, a monthly catch-up call not so long ago, and we were all asking what's the other one done to survive. And it, and it was truly depressing listening to the amount of publishing houses our size with about 30 staff that said they'd gone down to eight or 10 staff after this pandemic. Right. That yeah. is, we haven't done that. And, and I'm sure you'll probably have a bit more information about that in a bit, but... In terms of advice, to answer your question there, the first thing that we did during the due diligence process in the start was making sure we knew our products and knew our numbers inside out, what our cost base was, set sensible, achievable budgets and targets, and, and, and make sure that there's things that you, you just don't need. Um, get rid of them if you don't need them. Don't, don't do products or have products for the sake of doing them. There's not a one-size-fits-all policy in B2B media. So I've launched a number of podcasts on three of our titles this year, which have gone very well, and webinar series, which have gone phenomenally well for revenue. But that doesn't equate to every single title should have that. We don't, it just doesn't work that way. You need to understand your audience, you need to understand your client base, and you need to understand the costs in your business and get rid of any frivolous activities you don't need, get rid of unnecessary spending that you don't need. Because the last thing that I wanted to do 
was to have to remove staff. That should always be the last thing that you want to do. I, the point of buying this and why the staff were so happy that we bought it was we were here to protect their jobs and protect the company. We acquired the company for the simple reason. 19 have got huge ambitions of being one of the biggest event organizers in, in the country. But the EBIT value of their business isn't helped by publishing. That's just the harsh reality of um, the value of buying publishing businesses. So divesting to people that were passionate about it and wanted publications, wanted to invest in publications like we have, was key to them. They were handing off to people that cared about it. But also it meant the staff here knew Danny and me and Keith and they knew we cared about them. They know that we care about this business. And that has been so essential during this pandemic of how we've coped and why I think when you ask me in a bit about how have we coped, why we've survived and thrived far better than pretty much most other publishers um, in this current pandemic. Well, we will come on to that. But um, I wanted to ask you first, what are your principal revenue streams at the moment and what emerging revenue streams do you see most potential in? Well, so 51% of our revenue, and I'm very precise because I do know my numbers, uh, is print revenue this year, 51%. Right. So it is still the single biggest driver, marginally so. But, but you've got to remember when I come on to digital that makes up you know, pretty much the rest of that, one specific item, display advertising, makes it 51%. You know, turnover for us will be static this year at about £2 million, um, which again is phenomenal to have static turnover in the in the current environment but yeah print is still the biggest driver but i would agree with anyone that throws the accusation out that is print revenue in terms of display advertising becoming more and more challenging to attain yes it is yes it absolutely is so the other part of your question was asking me what are the emerging markets webinars digital absolutely we've had a record year for e-casting you know, so for anyone that's not familiar with e-casting, obviously we send out a third-party email on behalf of a client to a select number of contacts on our database. You know, so we might be five or ten thousand contacts or twenty thousand contacts, and we or they created HTML. It's just about them that we send out through our database, and that has had a record year for us. Webinars, we've done thirty webinars this year. Wow. And it, it's a lot <laughs> across yeah, the brands. Yeah. And, and I've had to be the host of many of them, which I am bringing more and more of the editors uh, into doing that now. And I'm the tech support for all of it. Um, we did a couple of digital conferences this year. So it's digital, predominantly e-casting and um, webinars, as I said. But we still get a fair amount of revenue from banners on e-newsletters one of the main frustrations for me that i'm trying to change at the moment is so much of our digital traffic our website traffic is still driven through people receiving e-newsletters that is great in the sense that oh boy it works but it's infuriating to me as a journalist at heart that i have to send an email out to someone to say oh the latest news is on the website surely if you're interested in it you'd want to go back daily bookmark it but they don't and so you know when we look over at our security portfolio we're getting 20,000 people opening our weekly newsletter. It, right. It's, it's yeah. phenomenal, the amount of people. And we're getting thousands and thousands of clicks each e-newsletter. So banner display advertising on e-newsletters working. We still get a fair amount of money for revenue for advertising banners, MPUs, et cetera, on websites. But that has become, again, a more challenging market. And we're going to be diversifying in the next year to bring a recruitment and training hub to pretty much all of our publications. The websites are going to be expanded. So they have a CPD area. So they have 
training course listing from third-party providers, push through our webinars through there and jobs boards. So that, in my opinion, having worked at other companies before that have done that, will certainly help bring eyeballs and organic traffic to our website. And, and sadly, if I'm honest, right now, what we've learned through the pandemic is engagement's at a record high with our digital products, which is great. But the sad part of that is, I mean, that's because people are either home-based or they've been furloughed. But the knock-on effect of that is just look at the level of unemployment. It's a record high for recent years at the moment. People are also sadly looking for jobs at the moment. So we've tapped into a, a CPD and a career development market that's got record engagement for us. So the next step for us is to push that further and, of course, also offer people the opportunity to upload their CVs for recruiters to see and to apply for jobs. Right, right. Um, so that's that's quite quick reaction. Well, maybe we'll talk about that a bit more later with the um, with your response to the pandemic. But just sticking with um, revenues and and your business model, there are some in the industry that have long predicted the demise of the ad funded controlled circulation publishing model. What are your thoughts on that? Well, it's it's a conversation that has to be had. You know, I um, had a lovely catch up. Um, drink with Amanda Barnes from Faversham House the other day you know they're they're in their neighbor yes yeah and and Amanda's lovely and and we started talking about what they're doing with utility week and we've spoken to people like Steve Swain over at Energy's Media and they have focused a lot more on gated paid for content and I've got a huge amount of respect for what's happening over at and admiration of what's happening over at TTG Media at the moment that sector the travel sector has been decimated and Daniel who bought that company to the NBA I don't, I don't know him well I spoke to them a couple of times they have done great campaigns during this they've really focused their energy into paid for digital content and and absolutely that conversation needs to be had but it's market specific, if I'm honest. It, it, as I said at the start, this is not a one size fits all. We have just done a paid for conference for the first time, tested it out uh, on the fireside, and it went very, very well. So we're, we're not dinosaurs and not trying to do it. Um, we're currently relaunching all of our websites over the next few months that will have the ability to have gated content and certainly interact more with uh, the preferences of the user. But at the moment, what we're seeing, the biggest shift in engagement from a revenue perspective, is people wanting to prove ROI. So that does move away from print, but we've still got a huge percentage of our audience that values print. We've had a record amount of requests over the last 24 months for our publications. So we are constantly getting requests. We were getting print and digital turn page versions of the publications. So, And if I look at Fire Safety Matters magazine, for example, which I helped launch three years ago, we had a circulation there initially. It was built up from our health and safety database for the responsibility for fire safety. They ticked that. We put that as the, the initial readership. Inside 18 months, we had nearly double the amount of requests of the original circulation. We had like 16,000 right. requests. So we completely rebuilt our audience based upon requests and relevancy. They wanted it. So there is still a demand for print in our sectors. And while there is still a demand for print in our sectors, for both advertisers and readers, we will continue to do it. In my opinion, our business policy is actually, if print didn't really make much money, um, we'd still do it, provided the portfolio on offer did make the right margins for us. So the expansion area of where we're mitigating that risk is we're improving our digital offering. And that is mainly with just widening, whether it's through podcasts, webinars, uh, et cetera, digital conferences, and obviously I mentioned to you the recruitment and training side, 
that is a brand new revenue streams for us. And it's getting engaged and it's helping us build up an even better profile of our online audience. But at the moment, as I said, 51% of the revenue for the company is still print advertising and we're still consistently getting constant requests for print publication. So in the short term, I don't see the end of print. I think it will slim down, sadly, the amount of people that print magazines and our competitors um, will fall away. But I do think there's a place at this time and for the next few years, certainly, for controlled circulation publications that are, that are free to receive, that are supported by an advertising funding model. But you have to be a little bit cuter with how you set, sell that to the advertisers. So what do you think is driving those requests and uh, what, what's the secret of your success? Well, I would have to, you know, pay all the compliments there to, to the editors in the business. Um, that That is the content is great. We, we, we've looked at, we've always been known, if I'm honest, as, as product books for many of our publications. And one of the things I wanted to change when I was content director, the managing director then now was Product is key to those markets. Every readership survey that we do, it comes back and says product's important. And that is why, if I'm honest, we have survived longer than most competitors. If you look at the cleaning market, for example, we are now the only printed publication in the UK in that market. We're the, now the longest lasting publication in the health and safety market. And the same in, in the fire safety market, we are the, the leading publication there. And it was based on Revenue followed us because we realized that advertisers wanted to promote product and the reader was interested in engaging with product. But as a journalist, I wanted more than that from us. So I have developed magazines with our editors to have more of a substantial you know, features list in there. We always had a features list, but we were doing many one-page articles, which I wouldn't call a feature, if I'm honest. I don't think a one-page article is a feature. So we've brought in much more professional imagery. We brought in longer three-page features, which can really be acted as case studies and, and a means of where the reader can learn from it. If you're a health and safety manager and you're reading an article about machine guarding, let's say, let's, and you can say, you know, we use that machine, we have that environment, and oh God, without that kind of protective barrier, we could have a serious problem here. That's the learning you take away from it. And I think the recognition of that is the fact that all of our magazines now offer CPD, the Institute of Fire Safety Managers, who are CPD accredited, because they've done that based on the quality of the editorial in there. So that's why I think we've had so many people wanting it. We also do a lot of tie-ups with associations. We go out to member associations and say, can we send our publication to your members uh, as an opt-in? And we have had great responses from that as well. So we're always looking away to diversify but we also have such a key relationship with our former owner 19 group you know they have massive exhibitions at the nec and we're on all of their forms anyone that registers yeah. to attend their show has an option to take into any of our magazines and you know before they actually were meant to have their april show which unfortunately was moved to, to next september they were flying the registrations over thirteen thousand registrations and of that 60 percent had opted in to get one of our publications and it was new data so that shows the importance of that relationship as well so you've you've touched on the pandemic but um i'd like to ask in a bit more depth about how it has impacted your business and it sounds as though um although it's been a difficult year um it's not been a a, a, a negative time for you so what was your response to the pandemic well we worked very quickly at the start 
the pandemic to make sure that we had proper cash flow forecasts. We knew we weren't going to get to the budget figure that we wanted this year with the pandemic. We had a great first quarter. The staff worked incredibly hard and sales were going well. It, it, it was fun to run the business in the first quarter as relative novices as owners. And then obviously this you know terrible pandemic happened. And obviously, first and foremost, you, you think of staff safety, family safety, everything. You, you, you've got to think of the health of people over profit and viability of a business. So we looked at it and we took extreme looks at it of going, what happens if cash collection goes to beneath 50%? What happens if, you know, we're just going to see a drop down to 50% of target? We were really extreme with where it was. And, and it was terrifying numbers when you looked at that extreme. But thankfully, we far surpassed both of those um, worst case scenarios. And we didn't mass furlough you know we we haven't done mass redundancies we started the year with just a about 28 employees we're going to finish the year with 25 employees we sadly did let three people go um all on the sales side and that was based upon how certain markets were reacting into in terms of advertising we furloughed a total of eight people of which only three of those were were let go and we really did use furlough as a means of trying to protect jobs rather than to, to let people go. And the staff that stayed, so, you know, obviously losing eight staff from, from 28 at that point, you know, meant that everyone had more workload. But the staff that were on further were great. We kept in contact with them throughout. But the staff that remained here just did a phenomenal job. They, they fought for us. They care about this company. They care about the directors. They, they, they like their jobs, thankfully. And we've done a number of things to try and make, workplace more fun and enjoyable place to be which i'm happy to touch on later but they work like trojans both editorial production and sales and 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 they really treated it like it was their own business we use microsoft teams etc to keep talking throughout the days while people were working from from home and really built in my opinion the best atmosphere and team ethic this company has ever had during my four years here and fiona weston who was a founder of this company is still our company secretary and, and does all of our cash collection. And it's just an amazing person. She would say that it's as good atmosphere as she's ever seen in their entire time here. And, and someone like that who works every hour that she can do uh, to make sure this company keeps pushing forwards was, was key. So how we survived was making sure we did take advantage of the first, but we put, no one's on furlough now. No one's on furlough now. We haven't done mass redundancies. There were cost savings that we could make because once you're not part of a bigger company, there are certain cost savings you can make. We invested in new technology that actually made us more cost effective. We got rid of things that were unnecessary, things like um, company cars and replaced it with car allowances that were more effective for the company. We looked at every single cost line. We, we, we moved mailing house. Um, we moved, um, we got a better deal on printing. We've done everything that we could to reduce costs that didn't affect the quality of what we did. We moved to new website providers, everything that we could do to make sure that we were cost effective. And there was plenty of costs that we were able to cut without losing staff. But yes, of course, we have lost three staff, but we did take advantage of, of furlough as well. And our banks were very supportive as well. So are there any learnings from the past year which you will take forward with you? Yeah, absolutely. For me, 
it shows more than ever you need to know true costs for your business right down to the very finest detail and stick true to your principles try not to damage the products because i know there are plenty of publishers out there that are claiming they've sent out publications in the pandemic print publications that haven't and that is the advantage for anyone that is not abc audited there's no proof that you have or haven't sent out a publication i know in certain sectors that we're in none of the clients that we have mutually with other publishers have seen copies of those publications they certainly have seen ours and our abc figure will show that we would get caught out um you know we have looked for next year at some small circulation cuts but you know nothing massive but but then we've also invested more heavily in widening our abc order to now include a digital figure because when you look at something like the health and safety magazine we have health and safety matters we've got uh, a circulation of 16,000 abc audited but We've had 29,000 requests for that print publication, and it just obviously isn't cost effective to send out 29,000 copies. So we were sending out digital copies to these people, but we've never been able to prove that before. And now we can with ABC. So we can say on these new ABC audits, yeah, it's going to go out to about 29,000 people, but it'll say how much is going out in print and how much is going out in digital once you turn to page two or page three. So we've, to answer your question, going back to it, you need to know the cost of your business. You need to make sure you've got the right staff in place. You need to make sure that you're not doing things for the sake of doing things. Cut things that you don't need to do. You know, if no one's engaging in Facebook, for example, why are you spending time doing Facebook? There's other things your editors could be engaged in. Um, if podcasts aren't working for you, getting 100 people doing it, why are you doing it? It's a lot of work. You know that from what we're doing now, the editing, etc. Yeah. that you'll have to do yeah. this. It's, it's, it's hard work. It's challenging work and time consuming. So... It's making sure you're doing the right things, making sure you've got staff at the right level, making sure there isn't any frivolous costs that you don't need and you've properly cost control. But then also look to the future. Look to what can you launch? What do your clients want? What do your readers want that could be a new revenue stream? Because I'm not denying print is more of a challenging market than before and the model that we've got. So you have to think outside of the box. So what else can you do to support the portfolios that you've got? And we've launched and are launching a number of things, which you know I'm happy to talk about further. So, well, as we start to emerge from the pandemic, what are your plans now to scale the business back up? Well, looking at the products that we've currently got, we are looking to do digital conferencing next year. We are launching one per brand. And that almost goes against what I said of don't do a one size fits all for every brand. But we obviously have researched each market and, and we've got. I personally don't believe in an online exhibition model of where you walk around like Sims or Second Life or 3D Hall. I'm yet to see, having run one before myself back in my UBM days, I'm yet to see an enjoyable engagement from people that attend those. But what I am seeing with the problems of people not being able to go to live events, so many people in B2B media traditionally rely on live events to get leads. And it's a very expensive way of doing it. But face-to-face is still key, in my opinion, for doing business. But we need to fill that gap. Digitally, we've done that with webinars. Where we're able to provide, you know, literally thousands of leads to people that have registered. You know, our, our average amount of people that have registered to our webinars this year has been about 1,400 to each webinar. It, it's, it's a huge amount of people. And we have had a 60 to 70% conversion rate of people coming, which is far better than what live events do. You tend to get a 40 to 50% conversion rate from, compared to registrations. So 
the digital conference, I want to take it that one step further. We're not creating a digital exhibition where you can walk around the floor. It's content driven because content is key to our to our readers and listeners and visitors, whatever you want to call them now. And CPD is a big part of that. So they're all CPD accredited. But engagement and networking is key, if I'm honest. So the platform that we're using allows us to have a networking perspective in it. It allows people to video call, direct message, engage with speakers, engage with sponsors. That is key. That makes that fills the void that live events occur and they can't run. And it's more convenient. You know, you're doing this uh, interview from your home today, I believe. And that's the changing yeah, world yeah. that we work in. So as publishers, as media professionals, we have a brilliant platform here. We haven't got the same strains and stresses that just event organizers have. Yes, I do have three or four physical live events, two awards and a couple of small conferences. And yes, it's hurt not being able to run those this year. And, and who knows exactly when we can safely run next year. But everything that we do in terms of printed publications and digital has been there throughout the pandemic, carrying on. We're still posting out magazines, getting record amount of open rates on our e-newsletters, higher web traffic that we've had before, record engagement with webinars. So we have a real ability as publishers that we can take what we do straight to people. What you're doing right now with me is bringing it straight to people, whether it's in their homes or whether it's through their phones or their workplaces, we bring it to them. We don't have to get them to come to us. And that's why these digital conferences are really important to us. We can bring highbrow content for free to people and give them an opportunity to engage with vendors and engage with each other. There's not enough of that in, in all the sectors we work in. People really enjoy networking with their peers. Our readers like the opportunity to talk to other readers. They also like the opportunity to talk to us, which is why in some of our publications, we've created um, readership boards so they can help actually advise us, an editorial board, I should really call it, of, of the topics of the day and what we should be focusing on. So networking is important and it doesn't just have to be done face-to-face, -face, but face-to-face -face is important. It has to be to the right scale and for the right market. And I'm sure that we'll continue to look at that down the line. But digitally, that's a massive driver for us going forward. And it's a real gap that can be filled. And, you know, we don't need to talk about individual platforms and providers here today, but there are a multitude of them out there. What I would say is make sure you, that you do proper due diligence on those and make sure that you get the right people at the right price that's right for your audience. So looking at the B2B sector um, a bit more broadly, what excites you about the future of the sector? Obviously, like many sectors, they've been through a difficult year, but, but what positives do you see looking forward? I see a lot of positives. You know, this has been, I would wager, possibly the most difficult year I'm ever going to face as a, as a business owner. It, just the health concerns of your staff, your family, the financial, the crippling financial aspects of a pandemic and, and a major recession that we're now in. I think if you can come through this and you can modernize and you can turn a profit like we have done, you can probably come through anything. And that fills me full of optimism. It feels like this year we've learned more about our products than we would have probably learned in any other year, learned more about our staff than we probably ever will. Sometimes a crisis brings out the best or the worst in people. And I can honestly say in terms of our staff, it has brought out the best. And that fills me full of excitement because I know I've got a committed team here that want to be here. And we've done a number of things for them, which I'll talk about later to try and make this a more fun place to work. But when I look to the future, 
I passionately believe in the core principles of journalism. Quality content is really important to me. At heart, I'm a journalist. That's what I'm trained at doing. And I love getting exclusive articles out there and pushing it throughout as wide a medium as possible. Quality content is what excites me. And what I'm looking at moving forward is there's more ways to do that than ever before. There's more ways to engage with more people than ever before. As a journalist like you are and I am, surely the most exciting thing is getting our work out to as many people as possible. When we both started being journalists, I'd hazard a guess, we probably didn't think that we'd be sat at home recording a podcast. I don't even know, you know, when I was at university in 2006, if podcasts were really a thing back then. <laughs> you know, I'm not old at 36, but I listened to plenty of podcasts. I sure as heck didn't <laughs> when I was at university. So it's exciting to go out on a different means because ultimately you want to give content that informs and helps the people. That's what B2B journalism is. It's not sensationalist journalism like national papers are, where you can break a story that's really in the public interest. And, and, you know, that I really enjoyed, you know, when I had placements in national papers doing that, local papers. That's exciting, the exciting side of journalism. But actually, B2B can be exciting too, because you're writing content that can make a material difference to, to people's careers and their lives and their workplaces. The titles that we do, a number of them are actually there to protect people and premises, health and safety, fire safety. We all know major tragedies like Grenfell have happened, for example. You know, and now you talk about the current COVID-19 pandemic, we have a cleaning title, so hygiene's more important than ever before. We're actually writing stuff that makes a difference to protecting people and property. So that excites me too. But the real excitement is the fact that we can diversify ways of doing it. And there's a huge amount of opportunities out there. But there is a sad side to this too that this pandemic has been very difficult on all of us financially. We haven't hit our marks in terms of financially where we wanted to be. Yes, we're, we're fortunate we've managed to run the company sensibly and, and, and turn a profit, um, but that's not always the case. And you, you look at other publishers that have had to let go a number of staff, a number of publishers that have closed, and probably a lot more publishers and publications that will close still to come. And what we're now actively trying to do to look to the future is we're actively trying to acquire other publications or other publication houses. That's what's next for us as well as launching our own products. And that's what excites me. So you've talked about how you've been making the workplace more fun for your staff. Can you expand on that? Yeah, I can do. Yeah. One of the things that you learn from a, a management buyout is when 19 Group came in here, they have such a drive and determination to be one of the leading exhibitions businesses and 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 they work you know Alison and Peter over there work every hour under the sun to try and make that a reality as they have to because uh, they're doing it based on private equity funding and that's a pressure in itself but they would be the first to admit that content and publications wasn't their primary focus so when they were transitioning the move from extracting the exhibitions here into the Wimbledon base that does naturally leave the publishing business isolated i was put as the um the figurehead and the md of this business and i did everything that i could do to tell the staff here just how important they are an important job that they do but people quickly could cotton on that there was probably a managing buyer and that leads to uncertainty you know what about my job you know is is the company going to get sold again and who's going to buy it um what happens to me and that's natural you should think of yourself first if you're an employee because you've got yourself or your family to provide for. So Danny, Keith and I were 
the key objective for us was we've had staff that have been here for over 20 years, phenomenal loyalty. We've got mo- most of the staff have been here six or seven years. So we wanted to make sure this was a fun place to work and a place where they really felt valued and they really wanted to be because this isn't just saying it. We can't run this business without them. We could not have got through this pandemic without the hard work of the production and the marketing team and, and the editors and the sales staff and the accounts team. Couldn't do it. I, I, there's only three of us. I can't run a two million ten dollar business with just three of us. So we wanted to make sure they were valued. So what we did was a number of things. We reduced the working hours. You know, this company used to work 9 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. every day of the week, Monday to Friday. We changed the work hours from 9 to 5, Monday to Thursday, and 9 to 4.30 on a Friday, which cumulatively, actually, if you do the hours, is 17 extra days off a year. And that was a very popular decision uh, from the start. We have given an extended break over Christmas. We've created, not that we can use it much at the moment, we've created a a networking room and a games room that has a dartboard, music, a pool table. So people can, uh, big screen TV, sofas and bean bags. So there's, so everyone can spend time with each other. Mm. We had planned to do a summer party. We did do one the previous year and we did weekly barbecues last year before, <laughs> before at lunchtime, before um, the pandemic happened. And, you know, this year, in fact, it was going to be December this year, we weren't going to have a Christmas party per se. We were going to take the, the first ever company away day. We were going to take them to the Manga Club in Spain, a place that's close to my heart where I grew up in, in the school holidays uh, when I was a kid. And we were going to take them out there for a couple of days for a, a company retreat. So we could tell them how the company's gone, what's next, get their feedback, and obviously make sure they had a good time while they're out there as well. We've also, and I don't think there'll be many publishers that will be able to do this, We've also, for the first time in the company history, given a small Christmas bonus to every staff. It's not a huge amount of money, but it's enough um, that they can buy themselves something nice over Christmas. Uh, and that's never happened here before. Right. And we felt that we, we made them a promise. We made them a promise about transparency. This is why we're different than other publishers. They know their P&L lines. We tell them what the cost of the business are. Okay, we don't say what everybody else's salary is in there, but we have a salaries line that's in there. And everyone knows the P&L of their own products. So they feel a real sense of ownership. They know what their magazines and their, and their portfolio is targeted and meant to get. They know what the owners of this company earn. They, they know what the accounts are going to say. So they, they have real ownership and transparency. And that has really helped in budgeting. There's not many publishers that do that, but we wanted them to feel a sense of ownership. We made them a promise. If we turned a profit, we would do everything that we could do to give them a Christmas bonus for the first time. And, and that was the email I sent out just this week to say that we have been able to follow through on that. So this is their company as much as ours. The three of us may own it, but they make it what it is. And they have made it so we have a roof over our heads through this pandemic and that we have not just survived, but we've we've thrived and I will forever be grateful to the staff that we've got here and to my business partners for putting up with me. So you're one year in, where would you like to see Western Business Media in five years time? Well, like any company owner, you'd say still going, still turning a profit. (laughs) It would be nice, Uh, hopefully with more staff, a lot more product launches. You know, we are actively, as I've said to you, looking at acquisition targets for publications and you know, I would love to hear from any publisher 
um, if, if if they are looking to divest a, a publication um, or, or their organisation, you know, we you know we're not a cash rich business because nobody is in this situation, but we do invest in this business, and that's important. So we look we're always looking at opportunities to um, see if we can widen our product range, and you look at the products we've already got. We're looking at what more can we do because as we've discussed at length today. Print is a more challenging market, so you do need to invest more in, in digital. But I think the difference between us and other company owners is we're not materialistic people, the three of us. We're not greedy people. We want a job until we retire, you know, and then who knows, maybe our kids want to get involved or somebody wants to take us off the staff or take us off our hands. I'm still young, you know, I'm 36, as I've said. My business partners are. 47 and 48 this isn't a lifestyle business for us this is our lives we we've we've bought this business and and put everything into it because we believe in it and we believe in the people and we want to grow it we're not buying it to flip it we're buying it to grow it we're buying it because this is what we want to do this is our last jobs uh hopefully we retire rather than go out in a box on the back of pandemic (laughs) stresses but this is what we do this is what we love and we trust each other and it, we want it to feel like a family company and we want the staff to feel like they're valued. We want we want staff that look at potentially coming here and we are currently recruiting for a designer as well at the moment. We want people to come and go, that's a place I'd like to work. Because if you have people that come here and they want to work here, they'll give you more. And I don't think anyone could have given more than the staff have given to us this year. But that's the bedrock of what we're trying to build here. Yeah. If certain markets don't pick up, you switch around certain products or you do things differently. And yes, we have had to let three people go because it just wasn't cost effective to to have those heads in there. We didn't want to do it. It was a terrible thing to have to do. But we want to grow rather than shrink. And and that is either launching more products for our existing product portfolio or acquiring or launching. We are not against launching um, new titles and uh, new digital titles at all. So... I would say five years time, I would hope that, um, you know, we're still running the company lean and investing in products, that the staff are still with us and we've grown and hopefully got, you know, more publications or or more products on show. But certainly I, this it's not about the next five years. You know, it's about the next 15, 20, 25. Uh, that's that's what it is for us. This 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 is this is us. This is who we are. This is what we love doing. Which brings me on to my last question. Outside of work, what do you do to relax? Yeah, I do somehow manage to get time to relax. <laughs> it's not always easy. You know, they are like 13, 14 hour days and I'm never truly off. But but what I do for a living is my passion, as I think you've probably heard. So, yeah, of course, you have. I have two amazing twin children, Cody and Grace, who are nine. And anyone that's a father or mother of twins knows that's challenging at the best of times. And and you know when you need to switch off when they get daddy's on his phone again or daddy's on his computer and and and, and spending time with the kids is important. You know, I love taking them away on holiday. Um I, I love taking them out for days. We always would go out swimming or something at the weekend. We always do something together at the weekend. You know, I see them four days out of seven. You know, I, I'm lucky I get to go to the school gates twice a week to, to pick them up. And as a father, that's really important to me. I don't live to work. I work to live. I didn't buy a house or a company for me. 
I bought a house and a company to protect Cody and Grace. That's, they are my world. They're everything that's important to me. So I'd like to say they relax me, um, but I don't think that's possible with nine-year-old <laughs> twins. Um, but I also make sure I spend every day's annual leave other than Christmas out of the country, either with them or with friends. Traveling is massively important to me. I'm a football fan for my sins. I'm an Oxford United fan. Um, you know, I, I used to be the chairman of the Oxford United Supporters Trust. That's a passion to me. Um, going around the, the world, traveling with friends is a passion to me. So seeing my family, seeing my friends, um, sports is important. Um, but I would say, though, a lot of people say, you know, are you a workaholic, et cetera. And I never was. You know, I, I never was. And, and I probably am the definition of workaholic now. But it's not work to me. If I'm on my own or I'm out in Spain on holiday and the kids have dived into the pool and uh, playing with their friends and I can sit and read a, one of our magazines, I enjoy that. I know that sounds sad, but I enjoy it. I enjoy clients know I'm always available to them. Um, I, I, I enjoy answering an email here and there. But at the same time, I know how to have a good time. You know, when I'm away with my friends, you know, we, I know how to relax and not look at the work phone. So, yeah, traveling, my children and, and sport. And I have a keen interest naturally in politics, et cetera, as well. Um, you sound extremely busy. Mark Sennett, thank you very much for being our guest on the In Publishing podcast. No, thank you. It's been a real pleasure. We really appreciate it. Thank you from Danny and Keith as well. We would like to thank Advantage CS again for sponsoring this podcast. Advantage CS has been developing subscription management solutions for the information industry since 1979. The comprehensive functionality, adaptability and scalability of its software helps leading publishers around the world manage their businesses more effectively. Find out more at AdvantageCS.com. Thank you to Mark for being our guest this week. If you want to find out more about his company, visit westernbusiness.media. You can find out more about In Publishing and listen to previous podcast episodes at inpublishing.co.uk. Thank you for listening and please join us next time on the In Publishing podcast.